Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. I truly believe that thoughts are the greatest vehicle to change. We do not care whether the cat is black or white, as long as it can catch mice. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. You turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. If I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Is a quote by the American industrialist, business magnate, and founder of the Ford Motor Company, Henry Ford. I thought this was an apt quote for our guest today, the leader of the largest online automotive classified business in Australia. Our guest today is Cameron McIntyre, Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer of CarSales.com Limited. Prior to this appointment, Cameron held the roles of Chief Operating Officer and Chief Financial Officer and Company Secretary. Prior to joining CarSales.com, he was Finance Director of Census. He also serves as a non-executive director of Inclusive Australia. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Limitations, a show where we speak to elite, world-class performing men and women and unlock the secrets and influences that have shaped their destinies and that you could apply to your own life. For our first-time listeners from all over the world, please don't forget to follow on your preferred podcast platform and share with your friends and colleagues. And for our listeners in Chile, Mexico and South Korea, a big hello. I am your host, Greg Robinson, Managing Partner of Blenheim Partners, Executive Search and Board Advisory, with a vision to create the number one digital marketplace for vehicles around the world. Cameron lifts the bonnet and takes us through CarSales' impressive story, from a founder-led startup to a global leader. We talk about the new gold, the rise of electric vehicles and connected cars, and what's coming over the horizon. So buckle up and enjoy Ants and Elephants. Cameron, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Greg. It's it's fantastic to get the opportunity to talk to you. Life is short. Do something big or cool. One of your mantras, from what I can understand. Yeah, no, uh, do something cool. Yeah, so hopefully big goes with cool. But uh, but no, it it, it has been uh, a bit of a a bit of a mantra of mine personally. I mean, life isn't a dress rehearsal, right? You only get one shot at it. So give it a good crack. And is it? Are you having a having a good time? Loving it. Yeah, no, loving it. Um, yeah, I mean, personally and, uh, you know, business-wise, I mean, car sales is a, a fantastic Australian story. Um, it's now a, a global story and it's been a lot of fun and we've we've kicked a lot of goals. So, you know, the fun continues. What is the story? Maybe show us, talk us through the story. Okay. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, long, a long story, but I'll give you the, um, the shortened version. I mean, and it won't be just from my perspective. I mean, I mean, car sales is a Melbourne startup. I mm. mean, it's you know founded here by through a company called Reynolds and Reynolds. We built computer systems for car dealers and decided to publish some dealers' parts online, and that worked great. And tried to extend it into cars, and it failed miserably. Right, okay, right. Yeah, um, it didn't. It didn't work. And this is going all the way back to 1997. Okay. So, uh, and it failed because 
you know, if I've got a part, I'm happy to sell you that part because it's a commoditized product. But if I've got a really cool car that I know consumers like and you've got the consumer in your dealership, I know eventually they'll find the car in mine and, you know, I, I'm not going to be uh, ha- necessarily happy to, to to sell you my car when I can make a full margin when the consumer eventually finds me. So it didn't work mm-hmm. um, the way they wanted it to work. They published inventory online and, yeah, that's where the story sort of began in 2000, uh, raised some money, uh, became a public unlisted company uh, at about, uh, was was about a dollar a share. So who, the question on that, right? So it starts out of garage, you start building, you, you're not getting anywhere too fast, too quickly. Mm. How, how were they able to raise money? What's the story? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the story is first mover advantage is, is helpful, but the story is they already had an existing customer base, right? So in terms of of being able to scale one part of your business model quickly if you've already got the customer base existing in another part of your business and you can offer something that provides them an opportunity or some form of competitive advantage then you know, people will jump at that so seamlessly publishing a customer's inventory online was obviously the opportunity okay um, and the way we raised money back in 2000 um, was largely from our customers so yeah, really? our customers were given some free stock and some uh, put their hands in their pockets and subscribe to stock as well. And that's where we became a, a public unlisted company, which was yeah, a pretty poor structure. No one wants to do that because you've got no liquidity and all yep. the compliance, right? So, Correct. Yeah. So look, from there, I mean, we became part of the PBL uh, empire yep. um, and PBL owned a controlling stake in car sales right up until would have been 2010-ish, yep. um, end of 2010. And you were impressed by their board, it. weren't you? PBL oh, I, mean, was, I mean, I started in uh, early 2007 and um, I mean, we had a, a sensational board and they all jumped off the board just months after I joined. So either, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what what the message there was, but um, no, I mean, it was, it's a, um, it was a rock star board. Why? Um, Why was a rock star board? Come on. What, what makes well, a rock I mean, star board? The who's who in Australian media. I mean, James Packer, John Alexander. Yeah. I mean, Ian Law, who ran Western Australian Media, all on the board, along with you know, founders, you know, Greg Roebuck, yep. uh, Walt Pashoda, one of the most successful dealers in the country, a guy called Rick Collins. It was was fantastic. A guy called Jeff Brady was on the board as well. You know, Jeff Brady Holden, you might not have heard, heard of him, but he's big in Victoria. Um, okay. So it was, it was a fantastic, fantastic board and, uh, and still is today. So we're, we've been very lucky along the way. And you know, our current chairman, Pat O'Sullivan, uh, he was also on the board back in 2007 when I started as well. So, you know, we've had guys like Jeff Brown. He's now the chairman of the Collingwood Football Club. Good man. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about the footy team, but yeah, it's all good. He's still he's still a terrific bloke and a great mate. But um, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been fabulous, and they've all been great mentors of mine and been extremely supportive of the business and you know, where we've taken it. What was the vision in those days? Yeah, I mean, the vision in those days, uh, so it, it depends on the day, right? But I mean, you go back to maybe when I started, the vision wasn't to be the global business that we are today. Okay. The, it was a it was a different marketplace in those days, right? I mean, we, we were just a little startup out of Melbourne and we were competing against some of the biggest games in town. Yeah, you had Telstra that owned Trading Post. Yeah, had, your, um, old, your old shop. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You had uh, News Corp that owned Cars Guide. You had... Uh, Fairfax at own drive, there were some big competitors. So, I mean, for us, it was about being nimble, growing, making changes quickly, 
and evolving the business model. So, you know, from just being about one customer base to evolving it to another customer base and then another customer base. So in that context, I'm referring to, you know, we were largely a dealer-driven business initially because that's where our customers were extended into private seller, extended into uh, OEM, banks, financial institutions, and so on. So it was about growing uh, the pie in Australia and creating opportunities for our customers to sell and buy vehicles. Then it was about extending. So, if we, you know, I mean, if you can do cars really well, why can't you do boats and why can't you do bikes? Because it's the same thing, sort of, right? But in terms of the way you approach it. And so it was extending into other vertical marketplaces. So the vision was clearly to be the number one uh, marketplace in in automotive in Australia um, was a vision in the early days. Okay, and you're so you're taking your punt by background. You've got an accountancy background, so I'm sure you like to look at the numbers. I'm sure you make some pretty mm. uh, well thought through decisions before you make the leap. So what and how did they get you to make the leap? I mean, if I look at all startups out there, you read every book which says them surround yourself by great people. Well, that's easy done if you've got plenty of money in the top pocket, but most of them haven't. And you've got a scale play. How do they induce you? Go back to the first question about, you know, do something cool in your life. Yeah, I came from Census and Census was a jewel in the crown of Telstra directories. And so had six years or so in, in advertising, but we'd spent a lot of time evolving our business strategy and we were looking at vertical marketplaces and the opportunity that existed for Census in vertical marketplaces. And we, we looked at a number of vertical marketplaces, but Clearly, one of the big three is cars, and so I spent a lot of time looking at cars and a lot of time you know, looking at car sales and where that was going in the very early days, and and you could see where the market was moving. And so for me, it was just a they reached out to me one day, and and you know the whole thing about life is short. Do something cool is in the back of my mind, and Rockstar Board, uh, great management team, and an opportunity in a, in what was a, a small startup with not many people. Uh, was exciting, right? It was, it was, it was cool, and um, yeah, I'm very fortunate to be where I am today. So, are you a lover of cars by background? I am now. Yeah, look, I, I, you know, you spend so much time perving at cars; <laughs> it's hard, it's hard not to like them. And um, yeah, I mean, they, they are fantastic. And as an industry, I mean, the industry is so cool too, right? I mean, not only do they produce great product, yeah, it's a, it's an industry that's constantly changing and evolving. It's highly competitive and it's tough, right? It's, it's a tough industry to eke out um, a great business. Um, so for me, it ticked all those boxes. Um, and, and so, yeah, I've become, I've become more of a, a car lover these days and I've got quite a few, but uh, I always want more. So what actually is the company? Is it a technology company? How do you sum it up? We would say that we're, we're an industry player um, because we feel like we're, we're close to industry in terms of the way our industry operates so automotive um, and that's not just cars that's bikes boats trucks and all the other things Um, we would say we're an industry player but you know we specialize in marketplaces and the technology around marketplaces and how we help our customers buy and sell things uh, seamlessly is what we we do so why do i come to you what was what was your advantage compared to as you said you didn't start out with no competition there's some pretty well structured competition you're up against from day one Absolutely. It wasn't price, surely. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you know, in the old days, we've never been free. But uh, look, I mean, the reason why mm-hmm. is because we created a mousetrap that was frictionless, that changed the landscape. Uh, and, you know, you're like me, mate. I mean, you remember 
uh, on a weekend buying the paper and you know looking at the auto marketplace in the local paper and yeah, you know, scrolling down the listings and turning the up was never half as good as what I thought it was going to be and had a big dent on the side or and didn't tick over. Correctly, you didn't see a photo. You never saw a photo. Um, it's a great you'd language. Have to rock up. Yeah, exactly right. You go through the highlighter and 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 make phone calls um, right. and drive around. Is all it over still the there? Place. I'm coming. I'm coming around. Yeah, exactly. So you had all that stuff to deal with, and then to sell a car. I mean, yeah, you know, it was a pain too because you'd have to ring up and how many words do you want? And I was at a highlighter, and so it was it was cumbersome. So we call those friction points. Um, oh, okay, and it was it was challenging. So I mean. And it was a local market that you were selling to. You were selling to people in in Sydney or, in my case, in Melbourne. What online did is it made the marketplace a national marketplace. And cars today, I sell, you know, I've sold personal cars into other states. People buy and sell cars into other states all the time. So it became a national market. Friction points were removed. Consumers could see images, could see descriptions. You know, the, the pricing model was simple. It wasn't, you know, every week you got to come back and pay another $60. It's pay once, list until sold. So unless you get a result, we don't get a result. Okay, so there's an area of commitment then. Totally. So, I mean, it's just a, a much better mousetrap from a seller and from a, a buyer's perspective because from buyer's perspective, now I can see all the cars that are for sale everywhere around the country and I can see all their photos, condition, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So much better experience for everyone. How do you create that business? As you're talking about, you created a mousetrap against some really tough competition. The people you worked with, you know, what's what's the culture from day one? How do you engender that spirit? You need people that have a learning mindset. Yep. Have a, a mindset where they're prepared to um, move quickly, fail fast, but move on. They're prepared to do whatever it takes in the context of. I mean, you mentioned my qualifications as mm. a, a finance guy, but I mean, I, I guarantee the first. Second, I started at car sales. My job wasn't just finance; it was yeah, right. whatever needed to be done, and that was just the title on the on the business card. So, it's being prepared to roll the sleeves up and uh, and have a go. I mean, so they're the sort of people that we look for as a as a business, uh, even today. So, yeah, and that's how you get from point A to point B and do it do it quickly. You need you need people that are prepared to to do that. So, where is the business today? What's the scale of the, the operations? Yeah, we have a very big business here in a, in Australia. A bit more than half our turnover comes from Australia now, okay. uh, is Australian. But um, uh, we also have a, a big offshore business too. So look, in terms of where we're at, big automotive business here in Australia, also big in other vertical marketplaces, as we mentioned, boats, bikes, caravans, trucks. But we also have businesses now in you know, South Korea in in automotive in cars. Uh, there uh, we have a business in Brazil in cars. There we have a business in uh, Chile in cars, Mexico as well, and we also have a, a business in the United States that's in all the other stuff but cars. So oh, really? you know, RVs, caravan camping, trucks, power sports equipment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, the businesses changed uh, a lot we still do the same thing but in different markets we still approach things the same way you know it's about learning mindset taking what we do well evolving it removing those friction points that talked about in terms of making customer experience better uh, over time and improving that you know we do that wherever we are so you yeah, know the business is, has changed over time but yeah, australia is a relatively small market yeah you know, we we do about a, sell about a million new cars 
a year here, uh, about 3 million used cars. And there's many, many markets out there that sell a lot more than that. So it just makes sense. Where's next? I mean, next at the moment is is the US. So, you know, we've placed a bet uh, on the US. We we love the the market there. It's 16 times larger than the market that we have here. Um, Isn't it 16 times more competition as well? No. I mean... I mean, if you look at the markets that we're in the US, and I never say never, but there's not a lot of competition in those marketplaces that we're in. So there's the Facebooks of the world, but um, yeah, that operate uh, across the markets that we're in. But pure dedicated vertical competitors, there's not a lot of competitors in that market for us. Whereas if it was cars, it'd be a little bit different. So um, but we like that that market. We've gone to shareholders. We've raised money. Um, we've told shareholders what we're going to do uh, with that business, and so we're going to do it. And so that's going to be the that's that's the focus in terms of executing on the synergies and our commitments there. So that's that's where the energy is going uh, at the moment. So we're not thinking about the what's next right now. So from the beginning when you joined, what was it? Fourteen years ago, is that right? Fourteen, close to fifteen now. Yeah, fifteen years ago, going on sixteen. What's changed in terms of customer experience? If you're talking about, I mean. There's, we have multiple customers. So, yeah, the s- simplest one is you know, private sellers. That's the one you and I yep. understand, right? Um, going and selling our stuff online. I mean, the, the customer experience there has has evolved a lot. Yeah, I mean, the expectation around you know, having a having a seamless experience, not being scammed. You know, not having SMS scammers, buy side, sell side scammers, yeah, yeah, phishing. uh, Yeah, these are all issues today that weren't issues, uh, you know, 16 years ago. Mm. So as a business, you know, we're very focused on that and making sure that our customers don't get bothered by that and they have a they have a clean, frictionless experience. Yeah, other things are yeah, like our these devices, you know, back 16 years ago, we didn't have those devices. Now, no. um, yeah, you can you can create an ad in about two minutes using a, a mobile device, snap and sell, we call it. We have now got capability in the artificial intelligence space yeah. that facilitates identification and matching of various things that you know, didn't exist 16 years ago. Um, consumers expect more from us today than, than what they did um, 16 years ago yeah and and that experience continues to evolve i mean you know as people get more comfortable trading buying and selling online e-commerce wasn't really a thing 16 years ago it wasn't mm. a big thing yep. um no one ever thought about potentially buying a car online sight unseen that today what sort of percentage is that now cameron oh it's super small mate i mean it's small but uh it's it's evolving and yeah our research says that about 40 percent of the people that we talk to would be prepared to buy a car site unseen. Yep. And does that go to and used I'm, cars as well? And I'm talking I'm talking mainly used. I mean new cars. I mean I bought myself, I bought several new cars site unseen. Um but yeah uh, in the used car space, yeah, that's probably what we're talking about here is just yeah, how do you get a consumer comfortable buying a used car site unseen? Well and there's you know ways that we can we can facilitate that. So um, so in used, it's small. In in new it's a growing, evolving space, you know, with companies like Tesla uh, entering the market. Uh, it is a online experience there pretty much in terms of the buy side. Well, I had a chat to Barry before I came out, our technology man. He said to ask you a little bit about what's happening in terms of the virtual reality, it's buying through yep. my phone and sitting in there looking at the dashboard. And the next yep. part, you talk Tesla. He said, 
ask Cameron about the whole digital twins experience as well and what I can get from that and how they've changed that landscape. Is that overplayed or what do you see there? No, so what does he mean by digital twins? Well, he's talking about how um, when you buy a car at the moment, the, the research is kept. For example, I can, when I purchase the, the car passed on, Every bit of information is already stored, i.e., yeah. you know, I've changed the so spark So he's talking plugs, about connect, ch- connected cars. Correct. Is that what it's yeah. called now, is it? Well, I mean, that's what we that's what we refer to it as, you know. So, uh, for instance, you know, if I drive a, a, a Tesla, you know, the car knows if it's integrated into my calendar where I need to go. It knows my driving history. It knows how I've driven the car. Yeah, you know, have I driven the car appropriately or not? And therefore, hopefully unappropriately sometimes. Correctly, but have, but have I potentially voided my warranty because uh, I ah, took it to a racetrack? Yeah, right. You know, I mean, there's there's those sorts of things. So, you know, the car company knowing more about me and, and, and how I drive the car and use the car, yeah, we call that connected cars. And that goes to, could go to areas like serving ads, right? I mean, if, if I'm mm. driving past a particular part of the city and, yeah, car knows where I am, being connected to digital billboards and so on, yeah. What does that What does that sort of look like? And that's a that's a whole new whole new world that I think yeah, that space will evolve uh, over time. But it's probably one of the holy grails, right? Just in terms of understanding more about my consumer, my drivers, and how they're using the cars that we're selling them. Well, what is coming next? What are you guys seeing coming over the horizon? Well, I mean, connected cars, I think, evolves. Uh, and it's manufacturer to manufacturer. EV is probably yeah, another area that's evolving. And yeah, we're slowly seeing an increase in sales numbers of EVs on the road as as more manufacturers come out with different models. Well, didn't Tesla just recently pass uh, yeah. Toyota Camry? Camry? I think, yeah, last last week I saw the stats on that. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a bit more for the consumer to, to choose from today than, than what there was four or five years ago. The question is, you know, solving for consumer education around EVs. So, you know, what, what are the things that they need to know? Well, they need the questions that we see are how do I know where all the charging points are? Um, how do I go from one city to the next if it's Melbourne to Sydney, et cetera? You know, this thing called range anxiety becoming less of an issue. You know, price, EVs are more expensive than ICE or internal combustion engine cars, but you know, over time, Pricing is is coming down. Um, Tesla just did a price decrease uh, recently. Okay. Yeah. So those sorts of issues, education's required there. Yeah. You know, what happens to a car? Like, yeah. You know, do I treat my car like a a mobile phone? Yeah. You know, do I change it every three or four years? Yep. Or is it different? D- does the battery on my car deplete over time? And what do I do with the car? Yeah. You know, those sorts of things. What does a secondhand car market look like for an EV? These are things that require ongoing education and you know incentives what are the incentives to get people into evs yeah what do you think about that it's not yeah, su- it's not, it's not super enough. strong is it no 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 i mean yeah you look at other parts of the world and incentives have been much stronger but yeah i think i think the government's stepping up a little bit more um, yeah, okay thing enough yeah you look at uh i mean the recent one that needs to be gazetted is is around the exemption of fringe benefits tax on an evaded ev but yeah, I mean, that EV needs to be under the luxury car tax levels and there's probably only a couple, two or three that would fit under that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens after 2025 when that arrangement expires? But, I mean, the fact is that there are more incentives, more opportunities for 
for consumers to get at least a little bit of a leg up, but they all vary state to state. Well, I was talking to someone yesterday who's been driving across the states not that long ago and turned up in, I think it was California, and at four o'clock there was no energy to be uh, provided to any cars. <laughs> they <laughs> well, run, out, run out of energy, right? Um, yeah. So you're talking about the infrastructure there. The other part, yeah. what's the story here? So if I drive a Tesla, mm. but if I drive a different car, I can't use the same power station, can I? I mean, you can get adapters. So you, I can get, I can buy an adapter. So okay. if I had a Porsche and a Tesla, I can, I can still charge. Um, I believe either. Okay. I don't have a Porsche and a Tesla, but um, <laughs> not, yet. not yet. No, but I know people. That, I know people that have, and uh, and they can charge them both. So Tesla have their own um, network mm-hmm. of of chargers. You know, the likes of ChargeFox um, and others, which are other networks, you know, they're quite agnostic, right? So they don't care what make of car is, is on their charging stations. They just want to get paid. So, you know, they, they make them as agnostic as they possibly can. Okay. From what I heard, you talk a lot about data. Everything's built around yeah. data. Is that where the thinking comes from? Data to us is is like you've heard probably people talk about, you know, data is the new gold, right? I mean, it, it, it really if is. If you know how to um, mine it. If you know how to mine it and you know what to do with it, it's, yeah, terribly valuable. So, I mean, yeah, the sorts of things that we would think about in the data space are, I mean, we own a business called Redbook. So that's about vehicle specifications. So it's about knowing what the specifications are of the cars that are on the road um, to make cars easily identifiable for our customers and consumers. Mm-hmm. Other sorts of data are pricing data, you know, knowing what something's worth is um is extremely valuable to buyers and sellers knowing where the market's at and you know if you thought of us as being like the asx for for cars you know understanding Mm -hmm. what things are being traded at at any point in time is is valuable to to have so i mean your data is is really important okay and entrepreneurism so you came from you know i think did you initially start out at bat all those years ago Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so yes, you come from no, an estab- you come from an established organisation, and I think yep. historically it was pretty smart steps that you took, and then you've gone into an entrepreneurial play. What's yep. what's your thoughts? One, you've seen it, but what's your thoughts on those who are thinking about making a move in that space? And more importantly, what's your thoughts on the Australian business psyche in supporting startups? Look, I think uh, yeah, I mean startups, lot of fun, lot of fun. Um, if you don't go broke. If you don't go broke, and that's and that's the issue. Um, yeah, and lots of startups go broke. Yeah, and, w- and we have startups inside car sales as okay. well. Okay. So you don't have to be – you can be an intrapreneur as well as an entrepreneur. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's incredibly exciting. Uh, I think, you know, Australia is an entrepreneurial country. You know, we have some great uh, world-leading businesses, and I think we should have more of them. So I'd encourage more people to – take a punt and, and have a go at a startup. But we don't all get the rock star boards to start with. No, no. Right. We, look, we were, we were lucky and many of our peers were lucky too. But, um, yeah, that's 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 not often the case. But, uh, yeah, but I, yeah, the fact is that there's some great startup businesses out there. But I think the last you know, 12 months or so have been a little bit more challenging with funding and interest rates going the way they are. And, yeah, but that's a cyclical. Mm-hmm. Um and I think you know that will that will come back. But uh, yeah, we have we have a great ecosystem here in Cremorne, which is where a lot of the larger tech companies 
are, at least in, in our area. Okay. Um, it's an ecosystem that we're we're trying to develop. So how do, so how does that work? And is that, is that sharing of ideas, or what does it actually mean? I think yeah, I, I look at it from a number of different perspectives. I mean, Cremorne is sort of sits inside or around Richmond, and it's about a kilometre by a kilometre. It's really quite a small space, but inside it, you've got ourselves and REA and Seek and MYOB and and, and a lot of other tech companies. Mm-hmm. And so the way I sort of see um, the precinct, I see it through a number of lenses. So one being just around uh, talent and how do we attract talent? It's what we're all chasing, talent. But how do we attract talent as a precinct? How do we make Cremorne a precinct where tech people want to work? So there's there's that angle. So bringing people into technology, but doing it in a, in a better, more structured way, where we're not necessarily you know, falling over each other for the same person. And that's what happens, uh, particularly at the moment, because the demand and supply dynamics for tech talent have been out of skew. So that's the first one. The second one is, you know, how do we how do we build a, an ecosystem for, for new businesses? Yeah, okay. uh, how do we bring capital into the, the precinct where you know, startups are encouraged? And, and these are ultimately potentially businesses that the larger companies may acquire over time or they're businesses that when new ideas are, are, are created which then become attractive for more people to to, to want to be part of the precinct so uh so for me yeah that's that's another uh element too but uh yeah from a state perspective um yeah victoria you know, hammered by the pandemic and yeah yeah how do we create precincts that are attractive to to bring people back in to close to the city as well uh, so yeah, so as a, as a precinct, it, it's something that we're, we're we're working on. Tight market, tight labour market. It is, mate. Yeah. So well, you know, yeah, more than absolutely. Well, three point five percent unemployment. It's very very tight. Yeah. Are we getting the calibre of individuals coming through at the universities teaching the right things these days? Like, you know, it's well, I guess looking at the future of Australia, how how are we headed in that space? Yeah, I mean, so we're we're part of the Tech Council of Australia, and um, yeah, I mean, the million jobs in tech is one of their key focus areas and totally agree with that. I mean, if there's one thing we've learned over the last two or three years, um, any company that thought they weren't a tech business uh, has got it completely wrong. Every company is is a tech business. You've got to have a tech capability. And so, you know, what that does for businesses like ours, it just makes our, our talent shortage more acute, uh, particularly when, you know, large corporations realise they need to invest more into tech. It, it tends to drain the, the lake of some of the talent that's that's out there for others to to get access to. So Absolutely. I mean those supply demand dynamics need to need to evolve and need to keep evolving. So what we've seen over the past ever, actually ever since I've been in the organization, it's always been tough to try and find great people. And you'd you'd say that yep. it's it's probably in, in any industry finding great people is is very hard. Uh, but in tech it's probably been more acute. So I guess you know what we need to do is we need to change the supply side dynamics. Yeah, the way you do that is you encourage more people into technology. You encourage uh, girls into technology. Yeah, we we yeah, we need to. Where, where keep are we out on that, Cameron? Are we path. are we long way behind there? Oh, miles behind, mate. I mean, yeah. So we've got uh, our workforce would be you know sixty five percent male, thirty five percent female, give or take. And uh, but finding female uh, tech talent is. We will sponsor girls to go through and do a technology degrees, um, just to just to try and increase the pool of talent in that in that space. Um, and it's and it's critically important. I mean, if you think about 
in our industry, like cars, right? I mean, 50% of all car buyers are not male. They're mm. female mm. Um, or others. And you go, well, how do we how do we make sure that the talent that we have uh, inside our business is thinking about things and evolving our business from their own perspective, which is different? And that that's what makes a better mousetrap again. So, you know, for us, it's it's about building diversity and getting more girls into into technology is is a key challenge. So, yep. So it's working with universities, it's working with secondary schools, it's working with our peers, it's working with government, and with the tech council. Uh, we 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 create a better environment ecosystem where we all get to reap the benefits of that. And, and allow technology as an industry to grow in this country, which which it will. Where do you see it at the, at the infancy? Are we starting to see some maturity? What what do you see? I think yeah, we're all aware. I mean, part of part of the issue is yeah, you know, becoming aware of the issue, and um, I think there's a heightened awareness of uh, a lack of talent or you know, opportunity for more talent. And so I think yeah, that part, at least in the Cremorne Cr- area, I mean mm. that. That's um, well and truly being thought out now um, mm. and worked on now. But I think as a, as a country, this is something that uh, you never get to the end of. I mean, it's a it's an arms race. So we want to make sure that uh, Australia is seen as as a, a technology hub, okay. and businesses, you know, like ours and so on, you know, are looking to employ people here in in Australia because it's also relatively easy to you know, go to other markets as well and and you know, build centres of excellence there. But uh, for us, that's not necessarily the right outcome. So you know, we want to we want to make sure that um, we're evolving our tech talent here. So it's working with industry, government, and um, tertiary education that I think gets us there. So if you look at all the other countries, you have the opportunity to travel and see yeah. which ones get it really right. In tech? Yeah. I was just talking to someone before I jumped on this call and we we're just talking about our sophistication and maturity as a business, but I actually think we we bat above our our weight. I mean, if I look at our peers around the world, so I go down to Palo yeah, Alto or California, am I? Mate, we are we are right up there. Are we really? Absolutely. I mean, in the areas that I look at, which is digital marketplaces. Yep. Absolutely, we are top. Scandinavian uh, countries. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, we talk to peers everywhere in terms of our thinking and evolution in terms of our use of technology in terms of the sophistication of our marketplaces i mean digital sophistication i mean we are we are right up there and yeah i'm not surprised i mean because australia tends to be early as australians we tend to be early adopters of technology right so yeah in that digital space we are leaders or with the top all right so if i look at your scenario that every company should be or should be thinking about being a tech company, how do you get the advantage then if we're all doing it or should be doing it? Every company is a tech company now. I mean, they've got to be. I mean, you can't. Um, so what's going to give you the edge? What's going to give us the edge? Yeah, if, we, if you're um, up okay. against another yeah. tech company, what's the edge then? Yeah, yeah. So how do we stay ahead of the, yeah. ahead of the game? Okay, several things, right? So the first one is being focused on incremental change. So as a business, we need to be continually changing and evolving. Um, it's those one percent changes that you need to be making all the time and thinking about. So, are we are we doing that? Yes, yes, we are. We're always thinking about that. How? But what how, are, how are you doing that? Uh, Through incubator labs or 
Yeah, break. You know, no, how, do you, I mean, how do you do it? How do you create that sort of mentality or DNA in the it's part of the culture? I think it, it comes with the with the culture, and it gets a little bit harder as you become a bigger business, of course. But yeah. people are encouraged to. I mean, we do hackathons and all the rest of it. Um, everyone does does those things. But yeah, the way we operate now in in teams, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those teams are encouraged to innovate. They have a degree of um, a pretty high degree of autonomy as well. So we empower our people. We don't. Um, I mean, we set the direction of the business. We set the ambition of the business and where we need to head, but we we empower our people as well to make those changes that we need to make and evolve. So that's how empowering your people, having great people, setting a good direction and giving them the tools to make the choices that keep the business evolving in the right direction. That's how you get the 1% changes. How much time do you spend on looking at the competition then? Um, look, I mean, you get two thoughts we, we, we spend a little bit of time on it, but you know, we tend to be focused on what we need to do. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of our purpose as a business is to create a frictionless experience for our buyers and sellers. So how do we keep focusing on our purpose? How do we keep taking those friction points that we've talked about yep. out of the out of the ecosystem? So, yeah, whether that be... I mean, if you could, digitising registration transfers, major friction point, particularly in New South Wales. I mean, Absolutely. you know, um, going, standing in lines and so on. I mean, how do you, how do you remove that friction point? You know, we're doing a better job in property, but that, that's not necessarily being done in cars at the moment. Yeah, payments, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of things that are still fundamentally challenging. You know, that moment where, you know, I buy a car off, off you. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I hand you a, a check over, and you go, "I'm not sure if that's going to bounce or not." Going to be, yeah, bounce or not. You've handed me the keys over, or you know, I've, I've given you the money. It's in your bank. You've handed me the keys to the car. I drive it away and immediately have problems with it. Yeah, how do we remove all those sort of friction points? Other things that we sort of think about. Um, we think about uh, adjacent market opportunities. Yep. So, where is the market going to be? over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, so if you think about EVs, go back to EVs. Yeah, sure. The one thing about EVs and any other car on the road that's always going to be consistent is the fact they all have tyres. So, I mean, tyres is hard to disrupt, whether it's an EV or an ICE car. In actual fact, EVs tend to be heavier, so you'll tend to chew boots much quicker. Mm -hmm. So we think about tyres and we have a tyre business. So it's placing bets. Yeah, we we have a business called Placey now, which is a mobility marketplace play. It's placing bets based on where you sort of see the the future being as well. Mm-hmm. So it's making those those one percent changes. It's placing bets. It's thinking about where the market's going to be in five to ten years and making sure you've got coverage, looking at adjacencies and so on. And then we think about geographies and transferring intellectual property and technology between those. Uh, is how we continue to grow and evolve. You're listening to No Limitations with our special guest, Cameron McIntyre. In our next episode, I sit down with Matt Allen, co-founder and co-chief executive of Tractor Ventures. What I've seen, and I personally had this thing, is when I did all those secondaries and paid my mortgage off, my ability to start Tractor went up infinitely because I didn't have to worry about you know my, my current state. So like that is the big long-term Tractor. We'll have a billion dollars of funds under management, We'll have an equity fund that helps tractor founders do what they want to do and the debt fund that helps them them use that to, to grow their business as well. And now back to the show. So how do you lead in a tech company? 
you're you're the number one. Look, I think it's it's having the same as any other company, right? It's 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 having great people uh, around you. It's having you know, people that uh, understand the business. We're all prepared to roll our sleeves up. Um, we're all prepared to work together and have a go. Uh, it's having those people. That's the first thing that's the most important. Mm-hmm. Um, and having a having a mindset that that's around growth and how do we continue to grow. But a tech company is like any other company. You have inputs, processes, and outputs. It's the same, right? <laughs> so what's your operating rhythm, Cameron? What's, uh, you know, you're up at five in the morning, four in the morning, or you sleep in, or you work all night. How do you, how do you operate? If I was to write up my job description, um, part of my job description, I think, is that I need to keep myself healthy and I need to keep uh, on top of my energy levels. And so the way I see that is I need to train. So I'll I'll train three days a week minimum. I'm up at 5.30 pretty much every day, but out training three days a week outside and uh, with friends that are similar sort of roles to me. So for me, I think that's extremely important. So my day starts there normally. Um, because we're a global company now, my day starts a lot earlier than what it used to. Yep. So I'm normally in meetings now pretty regularly at sort of 7 a.m. in the morning as when the day starts because on the other side of the world, it's it's um, in the afternoon. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, there's going through going through that. For the, the rest of the day, it's, it's dealing with operational issues, thinking about strategy, thinking about where we're going, maybe customer issues uh, or opportunities, et cetera. That tends to be that tends to be it. Working with stakeholders, whether that be the board, whether that be shareholders, which are extremely important and supportive of us. There's a variety of things, but um, uh, tend to start early and finish pretty late most days. So, what's the growth quotient you talk about? Growth quotient. You refer to I as the growth about. quotient, and why is it important? Yeah, growth quotient by definition is the way I think about it is. PCP growth, right? So, uh, so revenue and earnings this year over over last year. What percentage does that look like? That's growth quotient, I think, um, by definition. So, I mean, that's important because you know we see ourselves as a growth business, um, and as so a growth this? business, we need to be growing nicely. Is that is that the context yeah, in which so, you, yeah, you think is. about it? So, the growth, the growth. Yeah, okay. So, growth business. How do you define that? What percentage is growth? Like when you know this day and age, yeah. How do, so is that acceptable you know or is that yeah, yeah, yeah? And yeah. Then, I mean, so we we go growth to us has always been, you know, high single digit, low double digit. That's always been our objective to be hitting those sorts of numbers and doing it consistently, becoming somewhat predictable in that, and making sure we're always delivering. Um, to the expectations of our shareholders. And we know over time that some business will be much higher growing businesses and other businesses will, will be slightly lower growing businesses, but the blend should be, you know, we're always chasing double digit uh, growth. Okay. For me, that's a growth business. Okay. What are you worried about then? Uh, always worried about growth. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's every year you got to find. I know, it's starting um, hard work. The next, you know, forty million dollars, whatever that fifty million dollars, whatever that looks like. Every year you gotta go, okay, so where's where's this year's forty, fifty million dollars coming from? What are the new products we're taking to market? What are the new markets we're looking at? You know, how are we gonna to continue to grow? How do we manage our cost base? Um, you know, those sorts of things. Um, extremely important. 
So, yeah, I mean, a lot of thinking goes into that. You start with your business strategy, you move through you know, where all your opportunities are, where all your initiatives are, and you focus heavily on the execution. Um, every year is what gets us there. So, yeah, we're a business. I mean, the biggest issue we tend to have as an organisation is not coming up with ideas for where the next that next 40, 50, whatever the number is of growth is that we look for. It's which one gives us the biggest bang for our buck probably the fastest, right, yep. or gives us the best long-term growth prospects are, um, are the things that we tend to think about the most in terms of delivering that uh, every year. But it's but it's a challenge. I mean, as a business gets bigger, it, it becomes a bigger challenge, but it hasn't been a problem so far. Okay, so you've got a culture of never die wondering in that sense. Is that, is that fair to yes. say? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's always been that way. I mean, yeah, that was Greg's mantra too. And, yep. yeah, and, we, and we've done some – weird stuff and cool stuff over the, the last sort of 16 years yeah and we've killed stuff on the vine once twice and even three times we've had a crack at particular markets and looked at them differently and tried different things but you know killed things fast so you know we um we had a business in model cars didn't work we killed it uh we had a, a business that was i mean it was probably just a little bit ahead of its time um yeah that was looking at general classifieds, but from a perspective of selling uh, via video, it was called Pitchy, and uh, and that didn't work for us, so we shut that down quick. Uh, we had you know, a business called Quick Sales, which uh, was a general classifieds player. And, you know, we had ads on TV, Pat Cash. Um, That's right. And uh, that didn't work, um, and we shut that down too. And I guess the- Can't the, blame Pat for that. No, it wasn't his fault. I mean, it was a great ad. I, I, I love that that ad. That was quality, and he's, he seemed like a terrific bloke. But, um, but no, it didn't work. Did not work. So I mean, the lesson though is, I mean, if you never try and be a me three, um, if all you bring to the table is the same as what someone else has got, yes. uh, you're destined to fail. Um, so yeah, you got to think about things from uh, a point of view of competitive advantage and. Uh, yeah, barriers to entry, exit, et cetera, et cetera. And, and yeah, a lot of things that we did um, were either too early or those barriers weren't there. Cameron, where do you get the ideas from? And is it copy and paste got to go overseas and adopt that idea and bring it to Australia? Or is it we're, we're getting better unique? at that, mate. Hmm? Yeah, no, no, we're, we're getting better at sharing ideas. Yeah, so if I think about our Korean business, our Korean business has some great products in particular markets uh, in, that they address mm-hmm. that we really like. And we like the way they've they've gone about it. And, uh, yeah, we, we learn stuff from them. Um, yeah, our Brazilian business, our partner there is Santander, which is you know, yeah, yeah. one of the biggest banks in Europe and one of the biggest banks in Brazil. Yep. Uh, and they do some great stuff in finance. So how do we you know, leverage some of those learnings? But it's exchanging of learnings. You know, what we do here is, uh, in in our media business and the way we've thought about our media strategy has evolved a lot and our peers in other countries learn a lot off us and then can take those things to market as well so there's there's a lot in terms of growth just by sharing ideas um you know we're, one of the biggest things uh, which is a long term opportunity i think yep. for everyone is just you know how do you move to transactions how do you how do you get consumers comfortable People comfortable buying and selling cars online. How do you give, you know, create the right uh, tools for that to to occur? So, I mean, for, for us, that's 
that's something that we're highly interested in as well. And some countries are more advanced than others. So there's always sharing of, of ideas and thoughts in, in that space too. Okay. What's your strategy on entering new countries? Is it you buy, you buy organizations, you buy 50% or is that something that's been consistent throughout? Look, I think our strategy's changed over time. So if you go back, uh, what are we talking? Probably 12 years ago uh, now when, yeah, we'd, IPO'd the business um, in 2009 and, you know, we had a, a great Australian company. We started to get approached by offshore companies looking to partner with us or looking to, you know, looking for us to become strategic investors. Okay. Our perspective is very cautious. You know, we want to make sure that you know, we're, we're doing it slowly, very cautiously. So initially, you know, for our, instance, our Korean business, uh, we spent probably the best part of I reckon it would have been three years building a relationship with the SK group in South Korea. And SK is you know, a conglomerate in Korea, second largest company, I think, in, in South Korea. Yeah, right. Building a relationship with them, building rapport. They get to know us, we get to know them, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then we acquire a minority stake. Again, you know, we learn, evolve, and then eventually we acquire the rest of the business. I think that's that's tended to be the approach. Um, but that isn't always what's on offer. And so and over time, I think we've become more a little bit more confident um, in terms of uh, those opportunities and what we bring to the table for one, yeah, the bandwidth that we have in terms of executing on those opportunities and the track record uh, and trust of the market to know that we will deliver on that based on yeah, what we've done in, in previous markets over the last sort of 10 years now. So I think yeah, they're all the things that we think about but it's also making sure that we're not biting off more than we can chew, right? Yeah. Um, as a business too, so it's so we're always very conscious of that. Cameron, if you'd look back in uh, a few years, would you change much? No, yeah. I mean, we've made mistakes in the past, but we fixed those mistakes very quickly, and so yeah. But there's there's nothing that we've done that I think um, you'd look back on and go. Yeah, I mean, if I think about. Um, I mean, there's certainly times of, I was very worried. Now, one example is just with the pandemic, right? I mean, yeah. the pandemic hits us in March. Dan Andrews sends everyone home from the Melbourne Grand Prix and go home. Businesses shut down, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, our fear was that our industry was going to be decimated by mm. that. And no one knew how long this was going to last for. And so, Actually, talk us through that, right? So... Bad day. I remember that day. I was actually going to go to the track that day, so I missed yeah. out as well. So I know exactly what you're talking about. But yeah. you're in a you're in a game. You're in a, in a business which is intricately linked to this. Yeah. What went on that the next couple of nights? What? How did the board react? How did the exec team react? How do you play this through? This is no, crisis. This is potential look, crisis. No, no, it wasn't potential. It was. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, talking to some of our customers, they were going to lay people off, and you know, JobKeeper didn't come into play early on it came into play you know a couple of months after it all hit the fan and you know we we didn't have time to sit back and think about things we needed to act and as a market leader you have to act and the first thing we have to do is we have to protect our industry so sleepless nights because as a public company mm -hmm. um profitability is also a key consideration for shareholders so Absolutely. the sleepless nights that i had was well what do we do and um most important thing is, you know, we, and we just came up with three very basic principles and we repeated those principles to the whole business every fortnight through the first 
12 months of the pandemic, which was, you know, there are three things that are really important to us at the moment. They are protecting our customers, protecting our people and protecting our business. So customers meant that we went free. So we just, we went free for several months. Oh, really? Um, yeah. What was your response to that? I was very nervous that, um, you know, announced that to the market and we were going to get smacked for yeah, doing it. Yeah. But the market was extremely supportive, yeah, okay. extremely supportive because it's a long-term action. It's an action that's not about now. It's not about tomorrow. It's about protecting the long-term viability of industry. And it goes to the belief that we're a long-term participant and, you know, it's doing the right thing by your customer. And the market was very supportive of that. Big bet. Big bet, yeah. Yeah, big bet at the time. What did you learn about yourself during that period then? You're in charge. Pretty lonely there at the top, as they always say. It was a, a fascinating period, right, because being a tech company, you know, moving people out of the office into a, rem a remote environment, work from home, was relatively straightforward. But, um, you know, being a startup, fast-moving it's the corridor conversations. It's the, yeah, those little yeah. 1% things that you do every day become a little bit harder when, or the fear of it becoming harder in a remote environment. Uh, and just that on its own was, yeah, what's going to happen to the culture of the, the, the company uh, as we sort of step through this. But, yeah, what are the things that we need to change about ourselves, about, about the way we operate? And we had to make a lot of changes. So yeah, just working through that was very challenging, and you and you would have gone through the similar sorts of challenges in your business too. And yep. uh, it was a tough time for for everyone. But we've learned a lot, and we've evolved a lot. I think we all have. And so yeah, I look back on it and go, it was uh, it was a time where uh, it probably advanced our business. Yeah, um, that's the that's the irony of the whole thing, isn't it? It is the irony of the whole the whole thing. You know, as a as a as an organisation, we advanced, we moved, we moved the ball forward. Um, uh, I think, you know, consumer behaviours changed, and that was to the advantage of ourselves and our industry as well. And you know, so overall, it was probably, you know, the health issues aside, it was not not a disastrous time. So that consumer behaviour has remained, hasn't it? Am I still purchasing online, quickly purchasing online, or am I going back to the older older days, or what? what what's happened? I mean, so what, I mean, what happened was yeah, consumers moved away from public transportation because no one wanted to sit on public transport and risk getting COVID. So everyone moved back into car ownership, That's right. which was which was great for the industry. People couldn't travel, so therefore local travel was good. So local holidaying was good. So that yep. was good for the caravan and camping industry. Yep. Yeah. Good luck trying to buy a caravan. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, it was tough. Yeah, boats fantastic for the boating industry because people couldn't spend the money that they used to spend on international travel. They'd they'd spend it on those sorts of assets. And so yeah, that was that was all good. And once people move into those lifestyle assets, they tend not to leave them um yeah, they tend to upgrade them over time so yeah if i i don't know too many boat owners that that get out of boating they tend to upgrade so that was good for the industry supply side issues have been a challenge uh, yeah. and they're getting better but depending on the on the manufacturer they're still somewhat of a challenge in some markets so and the consumers became more comfortable buying things online because they were forced to and so, you know, that was helpful as well. 
uh, just in terms of building confidence in transacting more online, I think was was excellent for everyone. So I think, yeah, overall, uh, it's been it's been a helpful experience. How did you, as a team and as a leader, still keep that? I guess the energy up in the business. Like you said, you're doing it yourself, maintaining it with everybody else, but also keeping the level of innovation up. Because if you look at patents throughout the world during COVID, they dropped. Yeah. Now here you yeah. are. Your big angle was around innovation, and you're saying like we know you're bouncing stuff off each other down the corridor. We're not. No one's in yeah. the corridor. So how'd you manage that? Well, how'd you yeah, inspire no, it? More importantly. Yeah. No. I mean, so I mean, what we had to do was, yeah, obviously look at things a little bit differently. So, um, yeah, the, I guess the cadence for the yeah. way we operated yeah. had to change. It had to accelerate. So, yeah, we went from probably communicating with the business monthly or even quarterly to communicating with the whole business every fortnight, and for a while it was pretty much every week. So, and so was that a town hall? Was it? Yeah, exactly right. So, um, yeah, fortnightly, all-ins, business updates, yeah, keeping people connected, keeping people updated, yeah, celebrating the wins, giving people recognition, talking about the issues that we that we had, and then obviously pushing that back through the organisation. So people people moved pretty quickly into into a digital environment, and so we didn't really see any. Any disruption, those corridor conversations, they moved onto the phone or through Slack or through Zoom, um, et cetera. So they just moved to a different medium. But overall, we, we didn't see a slowdown in terms of what we were delivering to market. It was just different. Team giving you confidence during this time? 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's hard, right? Yeah. Well, you're, you're working from home and you can't see anyone or you, don't, you can't feel the hum of, of the organisation. But, you know, the team did an excellent job. Communication was sensational. You look at it on the scoreboard and go, okay, so, you know, what do we deliver? What's on the scoreboard over the last sort of 6, 12 months, et cetera, et cetera? Um, are we, have we continued to deliver? And, and does it look like there's been any slowdown in that? Uh, I think, you know, we, we came through it in, in good shape. So, I mean, we've got an excellent team and everyone loves the business. I think, you know, we... We all see the business as our own business. Yeah, we have lots of shareholders, but I think the attitude of many people here is it's our money and it's our business. So we need to protect it. We need to grow it. Um, and so I think there's more personal buy-in perhaps. I don't know, and that was, that's been potentially pretty helpful as well, but we were lucky. Yeah, but yeah, good management or good leadership mm-hmm. in that regard. So pre-COVID, as a CEO, are you a walk-the-floor CEO? And if so, you couldn't walk the floor. So how did you adapt? Move from walking the floor and meetings to to Zoom and phone calls and not not so much Slack. I mean, I use Slack, but um, not as much as many others. But yeah, no, I had to evolve, mate. I mean, you know, all of us have been doing things the same way for, you know, 30 years, 20 years. <laughs> and right. then all of a sudden you gotta you gotta make these these changes. It's it was different. Actually, I was talking to Greg about this yeah, just Greg earlier today. Robuck, yeah, yeah, we we catch up all the time. He's a great mate, um, and talk about stuff. And just yeah, we've we've had to change a lot. And the thinking around yeah, do you bring people back to work or do you leave people with the ability to choose how they want to work and uh, maintain that flexibility, which is the way we think about things, mm-hmm. probably goes to us more elderly statesmen having to evolve our thinking to what the new world actually looks like. And the new world is not 
going to go back to what the old world was in in my view and and how do we how do we continue to evolve our thinking and make sure that you know as a business we're delivering on the things that are more challenging in a, a remote working environment which is around you know things like learning and development for people particularly grads and so on and how do you create the right environment for that to continue to flourish but also give people the flexibility that they need to do that uh, and that land leader i guess a more balanced lifestyle you know it's it's balancing all that up but it was a challenge for people like me fair enough cameron you came in cfo then become coo before you become ceo yeah all right you're also coming in the back of someone who had a pretty impressive track record as an entrepreneur yeah okay not easy shoes to fill no i was extremely nervous yeah, greg is a, an absolute jet of a guy great entrepreneur Build a successful business, and and the roads littered with, with um, <laughs> people that come in after blow the joint up. Fantastic entrepreneurs <laughs> that blow sh- stuff up, right? So I didn't want to be one of those people. And how do you, uh, how do you navigate it? I mean, so I mean, look, I mean, my strategy was, um, and it was sort of a little bit probably different for me because I'd been in the business for ten years or more when this change happened. So, and I'd been with the business from very early days, so had probably a different position as a starting point. But, look, I mean, I value Greg and I wanted to main, deliberately maintain that connection with Greg and keep Greg connected to the business. And so, you know, we catch, like I said, we catch up all the time. I use him as a great sounding board. We have an excellent board, brilliant board. Um, but I also use Greg as a sounding board too. You know, he, he will come to particular events. So how do you keep that connection with that entrepreneur, I think, important uh, as well if you can right mm-hmm. um and some people get hung up with well i'm the new ceo and why would i want to do that um but i think there's value in that in keeping that culture and that connection there so for me that was important as well and i think yeah that was that was certainly that was certainly helpful and has continued to be helpful for me and you know, when, when greg and i catch up we don't always talk about work but uh you know it, he's he's been He's been great. So, I mean, I think that's a that's a point of difference too. So, understanding the business, having the support of the management team, um, having the support of the the entrepreneur who's exiting, uh, have their buy in, and maintain that relationship. I think were my critical success factors. Where do you reckon the point of difference was then between you and him, and what's been the ramification? Because the business has matured, obviously. Yeah, it has. I mean, we we just approach things a little bit differently. I mean, Greg will tell you the story, right? I mean, one of the stories was when I first started, there was, I don't know, 60 of us in, in the business. I reckon it was about that. And, um, yeah, one of the first things he was spending a lot of time on was whether we should buy another photocopier. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to him, mate, why are you looking at this? Why are you focusing on the ants while the elephants are walking past? Let's focus on the big picture here. You need to be... Yeah, you know, focused on the big picture. Yeah, you know, let me deal with a photocopier uh, if that's an issue. And uh, and I, I think you know, it's his baby. He started. He's going to be focused on the. But to scale a business, you can't scale a business by being focused on photocopiers. But yeah, you know, he, he evolved uh, clearly evolved. Um, but uh, Greg and I are pretty similar in many many respects. There's not too many things that we would each do differently. So I guess there's probably not a whole lot of difference. Uh, he might he might tell you something different, but uh, but I think we're pretty pretty similar in the way we've approached the business and um, and got it to where it is today. 
Cameron, if I was going to look at all the entrepreneurs out there probably listening to this, or companies which are going through you know, regrowth or whatever it's going to be, how do you scale? Yeah. You know, everyone talks about it, but not everyone can do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, mate, it's hard. I mean, scaling up is is hard, and it's uh, it's always trying to be ahead of the curve. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's making tough decisions. So, look, I guess if I think about us as a as a, as a business, uh, scaling for us was about taking a risk, investing, making investments, making smart investments, not betting the farm as you're scaling up. Um, so, you know, I don't know what that might look like, but, you know, punching a whole lot of money into an advertising campaign that, you know, puts your working capital under under pressure. We're not talking about Pat Rafter again, are we? We're talk- yeah, we're talking <laughs> about Pat Rafter. Um, yeah, but, yeah, n- making smart decisions, yep. not betting the farm, um, placing, placing bets, um, seeing how those bets play out, the bets that look like they're getting traction, keep feeding them. The ones that aren't kill them and kill them quick. Getting ahead of the curve, acquiring talent. We went through a, a, a phase, and we probably still would do it today. But you know, we would hire people into the business not with a specific job. We'd go, you know, we want you because you are talent, and we know based on where we're going that you know you'll find the right role inside the organisation, given the sort of person that you are, and you'll grow into it. So, oh, so, so jump on the bus. We hired a number of people just based on them being talent without a specific role. And how's it worked out for them? Well, great. I mean, some of them are still here. So I think um, it's worked out It's worked out well. I wouldn't say there was oodles of those people that we, mm-hmm. we hired, but it was a deliberate focus of, I think this person will be great. They'll, they'll find their way inside the business um, and, and grow into it. Uh, so it's taking a risk on, on people as well. But it's a it's a challenge, right? And it's not easy. But uh, that'd be my tips. Where do you reckon, from based on your experience, what's mm. the difference between the entrepreneur succeeding and scaling up, and those who just don't quite get there? From what you've seen and experienced, and like you said, I'm sure you've observed other competitors that yeah. come, come by the sideway. So part of it is it's my baby, uh, and this is this is the way I founded the business, and I'm comfortable. Good point. With you know, with it just being this, whereas the opportunity might be far greater. But as an individual, I've got it to this point, and I'm comfortable here. And yeah, you know, it's uh, having the energy, I guess, and the ability to take it to the next level. I'm yeah, you know, as an entrepreneur, I might be comfortable, yeah, you know, not having too many people in my organisation because I might be an introvert. Um, or yeah, and you get that too, right? Yeah. Um, and that limits the ability to scale. So how do you, you know, take those next steps can be a, a, a challenge. So I guess, you know, the ones that, uh, and, you know, we, we buy um, and we've bought more businesses that have been founded by entrepreneurs. And I'd say the ones that, the ones that work and the ones that don't work so well, the ones that work well tend to be led by entrepreneurs that, one are passionate about about the business, but um, see the bigger picture and want to participate in the growth of the organisation. Don't get uh, fixed on one particular idea and um, are open to change, open to input from others outside of you know, their own ecosystem. And they've tended to be the ones that have done well. You know, they tend to be people that are people focused as well, 
and the ones that haven't gone so well for us are probably the ones that are um, not so people focused and aren't prepared to scale or, you know, just are, are stuck in their ways or they get to a point where they get stuck. Yeah. So I think that tends to be the, the things that were, I, would, I would have observed over the last sort of 16 years with, with startups. Role of the CEO, and they're, yeah. they're all different. How do you see your role? So I think, yeah, my role in at car sales is, so I'll go through them all. One is it's about developing talent, developing a pool of talent inside the business so the business can continue to grow and evolve. So, you know, succession at all levels, et cetera, et cetera, and working with the board on that. It's about building strategy that motivates people, gives us the growth opportunities that we want to deliver on and creates value for shareholders. It's about being at the right place at the right time to support the business in terms of decision-making, uh, dealing with challenges and, and issues that we deal with and removing roadblocks. They tend to be some of the, the larger areas and just making sure we're delivering um, stakeholder management, et cetera, et cetera. What's next? I mean, for, for me, I mean, it's, yeah, I've had, I've had to, yeah, I mean, as you expect, I've had to evolve. I mean, 16 years ago, it was hands-on. I'm into everything, doing everything. Can't do that today. And the business won't grow if I did. It'd fail if I did. So, yeah, it's 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 that that's evolution. So, I mean, what's next? Um, I mean, I mean, there's there's so much more that we're wanting to do. And I assume you're talking about the company, not me personally. But um, yeah, from a company point of view, I mean, there is there is just stacks and stacks of opportunity um, that we're we're working on. Some short term, some long term. So how how big is the ambition globally then? How, how big is it? Is it dominate or what, what's what's the big play? What's the big play in in each of our markets? Or yeah, well, I mean, is, is it global uh, domination in online car sales, boat sales, oh, etc.? So what, what is what's, what's the, the yeah? Yeah, I mean, I guess our high level strategy would be to be the. I mean, if we had a BHAG or big hairy audacious goal, it would be to be the number one player in vehicle marketplaces, digital marketplaces for vehicles around the world, I guess, would be the ambition. So and global, is global that, best. And is, that, is that dreaming agreed. or is that really achievable? No, I think it's I think it's not dreaming, but it's it depends on your time frame. So uh, I think it's something that's certainly doable, but uh, that takes time. Two last questions for you. As a CEO, when do you make the time to think? It's a busy place you work in. Yep. Yeah. Um, so my think time tends to be um, in the shower. I think a lot of people think <laughs> a lot in the shower. I think it's not unusual. Uh, I think a lot on the on the drive to and from the office. Um, that tends to be a lot of think time too. Unfortunately, at four o'clock in the morning tends to be the other think time when you you have an idea or um, something pops into your head and it just wakes you up. I I struggle with that sometimes. You know, 4.30, awake, thinking about something, um, write it down uh, or think about it, don't go back to sleep. But that tends to be think time too. Uh, weekends, I think if you ask my wife, she'd say I'm always thinking about my work. Um, yeah. I think those times. But I think over the Christmas break tends to be a good time to think as well because the email's not going nuts, phone's not going nuts, I don't have appointments to get to. And so you've got good downtime and you get the the chance to think about 2023. And, you know, last year I said to all the, the team here, you know, come back from holidays, I want to know what your uh, goals are, your personal goals and your work goals. How are you going to think about what you want to get out of 2023? Um, and so we all spend that time thinking about it. 
over the Christmas break too. It's good, good thing time. While you're thinking, you're probably looking at current global markets, obviously. What are you seeing out there in terms of customer sentiment? What's your thoughts regarding interest rates? What do you think the impacts are going to be? Are we coming to a slowdown? Are we going to be okay? You know, coal's up, iron ore's up, gold's up. Are we going to get out of it? What, what's your thought? I'm a glass half full sort of person. So look, I, I think, uh, so if you look at unemployment. Does everyone have a job? Everyone has a job. Yeah. Um, lowest unemployment, pretty much on record. Uh, super hard to find people. Does that continue? Yes. So I think that continues. You know, while people have jobs, people have money to spend. So I think that that part A is is good. Interest rates do have an impact on the way people consider, you know, purchasing things. Yep. yep. I think interest rates continue to go up. You, you think so? I think so. Yeah. I think they'll go up in the first half, but I think then we stop. Um, just based on what we're seeing in, in other markets like the US, I think. I mean, interest rates historically have tended to go up at a reasonable pace, but then come down really quite quickly. So um, I think we'll see interest rates continue to go up a little bit, but I think the pace comes off at the end of the first half. My call is we avoid recession for sure. Um, okay. Yeah, you've got the energy market, China coming back online. Yep. That's all good for exports. So hopefully that stays stays that way and and we we navigate our way through this but um i actually i'm yeah i'm i'm bullish i think first half of the year might be a little bit a little bit challenging for some but yeah the second half things get a whole lot better okay and on the political landscape without getting too detailed yeah business and politics working well enough to encourage more risk-taking in this country i mean there's always opportunity for more but i think yeah we're in a, a, a reasonably good space at the moment so yeah, I think with where we're at, there's a lot, lot for us all to be working on, and I think we're in a we're in a good a good space politically in terms of impact to business. Fair enough. Now, if you were to look back at that young man all those years ago joining British American Tobacco as a young accountant, what advice would you give him now? I'd say enjoy the journey, right? Enjoy the journey. I think you know we all take life very seriously, take our jobs and our what we do, our professions, extremely seriously, and that, that's all good. But I think a lot of us don't tend to step back and stop from time to time and smell the roses and and just realise how good we've got it as a country, as as individuals. We are in the lucky country. And I, I think if I was to look at myself when I was 21 or, or 20, I would um, I would appreciate a lot more of what we have here. I think, you know, we're, we're exceptionally lucky and I would – Smell the roses a bit more. Fair enough. On that one, Cameron, thank you very much for joining us today. Fantastic, mate. That was a great chat. Thoroughly enjoyed it. All right. You've been listening to No Limitations. Mm-hmm.